to 1 John chapter 4, the first six verses. But we're going to begin our reading with verse 24 of the third chapter. And you'll see why as we begin reading it, because this verse goes with the verses in chapter 4 and leads us into the subject of chapter 4. Chapter 3 and verse 24 of 1 John 3 says, And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him. And hereby we know that he abideth in us by the Spirit which he hath given us. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And we're going to say quite a few things over these verses, but the focus of our message, and in fact the title would be from verse 4, Greater is He, and it follows He that is in you. But I trust as we read through these verses that you as children of God see the warning of danger that is certainly highlighted there in verse 1 about trying the spirits. And the word spirit and spirit showed up quite a bit in that reading. So there is a warning there and it is a warning of danger to a child of God. And that's the way we should take it. And the danger is identified. And that danger comes from the enemy. And in everything that we read, it could pretty well be summed up in the last part of verse 6. Hereby we know, in other words, kind of a concluding statement, the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So the warning and the danger is about these spirits or the spirit of air, singular, but coming in many forms. That is the enemy that John is identifying here in contrast to the truth that comes from the Holy Spirit. Now these spirits that he's warning against here are spirits of error, and error has a source, and error has an objective, And it is to seduce and to deceive and to mislead God's people. And Satan, of course, is behind every bit of it. And the means by which he does this is very clear. It speaks there in verse 1 of the fourth chapter why we should try or test the spirits. And that's what the word try is. It is, it's not like trying some food you've ever tasted and see if you like it or not. No, the word, it doesn't mean an experiment, okay? 
It's not suggesting at all that, well, try this church. If you don't like that, try another denomination. And if you don't like Christianity, try... No, no, that's not what we're talking about. And why would I even say that? Well, I'll tell you why. Because some people will take the Scripture in Thessalonians that says, prove all things, and think that in order to prove it, you've got to try it. <laughs> well, the devil would love for all Christians to try everything that's out there now, wouldn't he? You know... And yet there are people that are promoting and teach that. Well, how do you know if you don't try? How about because the Bible says no? But anyway, try means to test. And you test things not by ingesting it, <laughs> you know, but by doing some test upon it. And the test, the basis and the standard is the Word of God. That's how we test anything in that respect. So, why are we to do that? Because many false prophets are going out into the world. And I would say to you, many false prophets are in contrast to few that will hold the truth. If there are many false prophets, then the, the truth will be in the minority as it always has been and always will be. But nevertheless, it will be there and it will hold its own. So, these false prophets even are identified as antichrist depending upon the blasphemous and false doctrines and errors that they teach. John said that you've heard that it will come. He says that spirit is already here. There were already Christ deniers in the time that Christ was here and thereafter when John was writing this, they were denying who Christ was, how he came into the world, the incarnation, and as we have preached before, there has always been confusion concerning Christ, and there shall always be confusion concerning Christ because of the very reason we're talking about. There are false prophets and antichrist spirits, teachers, preachers, Satan out there, muddy in the waters so that the truth cannot be found. That's his whole agenda. Now he says these false prophets and these antichrist teachers and preachers, they are of the world, it says. Verse 5, Therefore they speak of the world, and the world heareth them. There's a very clear distinction there. They're not of God. They're not there speaking truth. And they're not for you and me as believers in Christ. Now these errors that they preach are too numerous for us to even mention, but John kind of highlights here the main error, and that concerns the person of Christ. And I want to just make a comment on that so that you don't isolate that into a more narrow way than what John is talking about. He says there that every spirit in verse 2 that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Okay, Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. That doesn't just mean that Jesus Christ existed. Okay? A lot of people will confess that Jesus Christ existed, but they're not believers. The devils believe Jesus Christ existed in fleshly form. In fact, the devils acknowledge more about Christ than most lost sinners do. But then it says in verse 3, every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ is to come in the flesh 
is not of God, and this is that spirit of Antichrist. Okay, Jesus Christ coming in the flesh is what we call the incarnation. Many people believe he existed. He was a man. He had an identity, okay? Not everybody that believes that believes that it was God in human flesh. Okay? So just because he was a living human being, does not mean a person is saved. Many antichrist errors and false prophet errors believe in the person of Christ, but may divide, and many do, deny the deity of Christ. Or they deny the virgin birth. They believe he was a prophet. They don't believe he was the son of God. And we're talking about Jehovah Witnesses. And we're talking about Muslims. Muslims acknowledge Jesus Christ. But they don't acknowledge Him as the incarnate, eternal Son of God who came in human flesh. But they see Him as just another prophet whom God sent. And obvious for obvious reasons. Muhammad had to get Jesus down from his preeminent position and get him down equal with him or else he couldn't sell his religion. Right? So, that covers a lot of air when it says that Jesus is coming in the flesh. I mean, think of how many people have told you, yeah, I believe in Jesus. And you knew when they said that, they're not going to heaven. Not, not with that kind of belief they got. That's just like saying you believe in George Washington. You know, or some historical fact. So when it says this about believing Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, it's believing who he was that came in the flesh. That it was God, Emmanuel, with us. And that the only way he could do that was to be virgin born so that he did not have a sin nature, etc., etc. And that he arose and went back to his rightful place at the right hand of God the Father. He wasn't a mere man who was buried somewhere in a grave. They're still looking, but when they say they found him, they won't have found him because he's not there. So, just don't be misled by that. However, as believers... We who love truth, who hold truth, we are in the remnant compared to the error and the falsehood that is out there. And since Christ was here and taught the truth, of course even before Christ was here, but we'll just start there. The truth has been under assault. The church has been under assault. The church has been under attack. And God's people have been under attack. And it's by none other than the enemy, Satan, and his emissaries, those who preach and teach falsely that which the Bible does not teach. So our enemy is, in that respect, these spirits of error. And it's an ongoing battle. And we're scoffed at, mocked, taunted and everything else because of what we believe and what we hold. In particular today that Jesus is the only way of salvation. You know, you're not going to be popular if you believe that today. But again, the truth has never been popular. 
And we're not seeking popularity. We're seeking that which we love and that which we desire. And that is he who is truth. And that is he who taught truth. And that is what is in our Bible. So truth at all costs is the believer's priority. And in the midst of these relentless attacks upon our Lord, our Bibles, ourselves, our churches, and the truth of God's Word, we have these comforting words. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Ye have overcome, and we might add biblically, without doing any harm to the context, we will overcome. So that's the thought today. Greater is he that is in you. In spite of the enemy outnumbering us, and sometimes seeming to overpower us, we cannot be deceived into thinking that we are powerless or the underdog in this matter. No, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And this happens to us at times. We're, we're weak. We're Christians. We have to, just like eating food to nourish our bodies, we have to constantly feed upon the Word of God and depend upon the Holy Spirit of God to be, have our spiritual strength renewed lest we are vulnerable to being deceived, seduced, discouraged as we talked about last week. David was a man after God's own heart, but remember in the 73rd Psalm, he was very discouraged because he looked around and he saw the enemy prospering and abounding and didn't seem to have the type of problems that he had, and that discouraged him. And likewise us. I've thought of that so many times in my life, and if you're familiar with that passage, probably you too. Well, why have they got it so good and so easy and I've got it so hard well Jesus told us why he said in the world you're going to have tribulation because you're mine I called you out of the world and the world hated me and the world's going to hate you the world don't like truth and they don't, the world don't like what you're standing for so you're going to be under constant attack and they're going to persecute you and they're going to drive you from city to city and they're going to scourge you and they're going to do this. And this. Jesus warned us. This is not our best day as Christians. This is the best day the wicked will ever have. And it is very short. And it is very temporal. And while it seems like they are winning they are indeed losing in the long run. And while it seems like Christians are being defeated, and we may be feel defeated sometimes, we are the ultimate victors because our victory is going to be final and forever. And David, just go back and read that if that uh, you know, sparks your mind and familiar. When David went down to the house of the Lord and began reflecting on the real truth of God's word and what God said about the righteous and the wicked, then he found peace. Then he found comfort when he realized, oh, this is just their heyday for a little short period of time. I mean, they're just living like a house fly, just a, just a short week, and then it's all going to be over, and their candle will be put out, and it'll be no more. 
But the righteous bearing through the ungodliness of this world, this world not being our home, we have an eternal home in the heavens, and when we leave this earth, our life's just getting going. The blessings await us. Well, how does this all come about, and what are we talking about? Greater is He. And very obvious from verse 24 of the third chapter, we're talking about the Holy Spirit. This is what John introduced there. He that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him, and hereby know that he abideth in us by the Spirit which he hath given us. So the he that is greater in us than he that is in the world is the Holy Spirit. And sometimes we just forget the Holy Spirit. And we forget how much we need the Holy Spirit and how much we should depend upon the Holy Spirit and how much we should be afraid of being without the influence of the Holy Spirit. And bottom line is, greater is He. We forget sometimes the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's just briefly what I want to stir up your pure minds, as Peter said, and remind you of today. You have the power if you have the Holy Spirit as a believer. Now, as you know, and without going into great detail, Jesus Christ himself promised the Holy Spirit. In John 14 and verse 16, he said, I will pray the Father and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit was promised by Christ as a permanent indwelling presence to all believers. And in fact, I want to add here, and I don't have time to go into it, we've preached on this before, that again, Old Testament believers had the indwelling of the presence of the Holy Spirit also. If you study the Holy Spirit, who He is, and uh, His work, and in, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, you will come to that conclusion that every believer has the indwelling Spirit in Him. But we, let me put it this way, everything pointed to Christ, not to the Holy Spirit. Right? All, everything, the Old Testament pointed to what? The Messiah. When was the time and the place for the role, the greatness, and the manifestation of the role of the Holy Spirit? When Jesus completed His work and ascended back to the presence of the Father. Then is when the Holy Spirit would be His vicar on earth, not the Pope, but the Holy Spirit. And so this is the time of the Holy Spirit. More so than those who lived in the Old Testament because it's after the finished work of Christ. But bottom line is, believers have always had His presence. After Christ, believers in the church have more of the power of the Holy Spirit. So there's, as I preach to you, and I just briefly remind you of this, There is the presence of the Holy Spirit and there is the power of the Holy Spirit. And so Christ promised both. And the power of the Holy Spirit really came in an anointing on the church on Pentecost. All right? But when Christ promised it, he said, as we just read, that he would send him, he would give him, 
and he would dwell within God's people. And that is exactly what he does. Exactly what he does. If you look in verse 24, two words there stand out. Number one, he that keepeth his commandments. Who is that? That's believers because they're the only people that God that keeps God's commandments approvingly of God. There's a lot of people think they keep God's commandments and going to heaven, but God's looking on what they're doing and saying, no, no. What you're doing is works. What you're doing is a flesh. You're doing it for wrong motive. You've never been born again. You don't have my spirit in you. Believers have the spirit dwelling in them. If you are a believer today, you have been born again, it's by the Spirit of God, and He has dwelt within you since the time of the new birth in your soul. The second word is, He abideth in us. It's the same word, dwelling and abiding. Identically the same word, just translated two different ways by the translators, okay? So we're talking about abide. That's a word we don't use much, but abide is a presence, a permanent presence. It would be like asking me, at me asking you, where do you live? Where do you abide? And you have a place, a home, a property, a something where you spend most of your time. You abide there. It's your presence, Okay. And I want to relay to you quickly, this is the same word that is used extensively in John's Gospel chapter 15, verses 1 through 10, concerning the true vine and the branches. Remember that? I'm not going to go there and read all of that. We don't have time for it. But some very important statements made there. So John is saying here in 1 John some similar things from that foundation of John's Gospel 15 about what Christ said about abiding in Him and He abiding in us. Nine times in those ten verses, if I counted correctly, we read the word abide. The vine and the branches. The branches abide in the vine. If they do not abide in the vine, they amount to nothing. But abiding is just the overruling thought there, the principle. And one time in that discourse of those ten verses, we read the word continue ye. Same word again as dwell and abide, translate. So it's talking about presence. So 324 says that we... Dwell in Him, God Christ, and He dwells in us. It is mutual. And again, we could go back to that illustration of John 15 and think, okay, here's a vine and here's a branch. And as long as the branch is attached to a vine, they are abiding in each other. Now we know the branch is dependent upon the vine more than the vine is ever dependent upon the branch because the branch is not rooted in the ground like the stalk or the vine is, is it? So, very clear, beautiful, wonderful illustration that Christ taught us there. And he said, except you abide in me, you can't do nothing. You don't amount to nothing. If you're not abiding in me, you're not 
have no fruit. So he's talking about an attachment that's more than just pinning the tail on the donkey. You know? Again, we look at the vine and we say, okay, exactly where does the vine stop and the branch begin? And we think we can see where that is. But that's on the surface, isn't it? We can't see what's inside. We can't see that transport of nutrient and growth and all the things the branch needed from the vine. It's all going on under the surface there, isn't it? And it's one continuous thing there. And that's the whole idea of dwell, abide, and continue. That there is a relationship there that is both ways. We and Him, Him and us, but our total dependence upon Him. And John said there, in that same verse, we know. We know. And I want to make that point just for a moment here. You don't wonder if the Spirit of God is in you. If you don't know, or you're not assured, I urge you, get on your knees, get in your Bible, and look at the things the Bible says that you may know. It's not a confusing issue. If the Spirit of God dwells in you, then the greatest transformation that has ever happened and ever will happen in your life has already happened. I mean, something drastic and radical and wonderful and awesome happened when the Spirit of God moved into your heart and your soul. I mean, we've used the illustration as the man did about the caterpillar and the butterfly. A metamorphosis has taken place if you have the Spirit of God within you. You're no longer what you were. You're a new creature in Christ. And that didn't happen by anything you did. It happened by the presence and the work and the power of the Spirit of God. At some point in your life, if you're a believer today, the Holy Spirit quickened you to life. Gave you a conviction of sin. Gave you the graces of repentance and faith. To repent of your sin. To seek forgiveness and to find it in Christ. And He has taken up residence within you. And He's not just sitting there a passive indwelling person. This is the third person of the Godhead. We know what the presence of God was like at Sinai, don't we? We know what the presence of Christ was like when He was here upon the earth, don't we? Would we think that the presence of the Spirit of God is any less powerful when He is present? He is just as powerful. His presence makes all the difference in the world. Perhaps someone is saying, well, I'm still not sure. I still don't know. Well, has any change ever taken place in your life of drastic proportions by that verse verse 24 here keeping the commandments of God can you see a time in your life when you didn't keep the commandments of God and at some point now you desire to keep the commandments of God well that change was wrought by the Holy Spirit Do you see the times and the times and maybe a a period of years in your life when you loved the things of the world and the things of the flesh and walked according to the course of the world and were a child of disobedience? 
And then something happened and those things where you had a former appetite, there's no longer an appetite for that anymore. That's the Holy Spirit. And it's the most drastic change that will ever happen to any human being at any time in their lives. But my point is, we know. Because it doesn't happen passively. In fact, I would say to this, everything about you changes. I've often used this illustration because it's just the one that's so real to me. It may not be to you. But imagine a filthy, unkept house. And people will live in filth. People will tolerate filth. People are lazy and you know all that. Look at how people do. Well, that's our soul in an unregenerate state. And an image comes to my mind of an old western where an old man lived like a hermit in an old place out in the middle of the desert and he didn't have no company or something and then a young woman showed up for a visit. Man, he went in there and flung the doors and the windows open and started throwing out trash and cans and everything else to try to get it cleaned up enough for a lady to come in the house. Well, that's exactly what happens when God saves a sinner. We are a filthy mess. I mean, all our righteousness, everything looks good to us, living to ourselves and of ourselves and by ourselves and for ourselves. God sees as what? Filthy rags. And we can't clean it up, don't want to clean it up, are very content to live in it. But when the Holy Spirit comes, the doors and windows open up, And when the Holy Spirit comes through that door and into your soul, things start changing right then. Right then. And guess what? They never quit changing. Can you look in your life and see things that used to be there that no longer are there? Things that need to be cleaned up? That's the Holy Spirit. Do you see the Holy Spirit still working in there and still cleaning and mopping and sweeping and cleaning up things within you? That's the Holy Spirit. Those desires that are godly, that's the Holy Spirit. That nauseating feeling you have when you see sin in yourself or somewhere else, that's the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. So you can't have Him and not know. And here again, John said, He that keepeth His commandments. That's the most sure way to know. Are you keeping the commandments of God? If you are today, praise be to God, it's by the power of the Holy Spirit. And let me say this right here, lest I forget and don't say it at all and go leave here feeling bad. The text is greater is He, not greater are we. There's no difference in us. Who makes you to differ from another? God makes a difference. It's not our greatness, it's not our power. It's His. Greater is He, and we emphasize the He being the Holy Spirit. Well, it says, than He that is in the world... Okay, we got another thing to identify then. We've identified He is the Holy Spirit. Who is the one that it's compared to? Recently we preached to you about Solomon and the Queen, didn't we? And we kept quoting the scripture in Matthew 12, 42 that said greater, uh, greater than Solomon is here. And we made the simple point that when greater is used and a comparison of two things is given, if you don't know the lesser, you can't appreciate the greater. I mean, you don't know how great is until you know what the two things are. 
And so likewise here, what is the comparison to? Well, these individuals and things that are mentioned. The false prophets, the spirit of Antichrist, but ultimately he that is in the world is the God of this world, and it is Satan manifesting himself through false prophets, error, falsehood, and Antichrist individuals. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 calls him the God of this world. That those who sit in darkness, dead in sin and unbelief, Satan, the God of this world, blinds them, wants to keep them in darkness and keep them blinded. He is in Ephesians 2, 2 and 3, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. So it's none other than the great adversary and enemies of God's people of all time that always has been, and God's enemy also, Satan. Satan is the great enemy. Now, do not underestimate him. We've talked about it, and we've preached, and we've exposed him, as the Bible does, right? Satan is very powerful. He's the most powerful enemy we have. There is no enemy more powerful than he is. He is very deceitful. He is very crafty. He has many devices. He is a roaring lion, but he'll come to you as a meek little sheep in wolf's clothing. Jesus warned of that. But whatever he is, whatever the Bible tells us about it, greater is he that is in us than Satan. We have more power more resource, and more ability than he does. Now again, not we, but he that is in you. Okay? And this is the thing that people that go to war think about, don't it? I mean, you know, you don't want to meet an enemy if you're outnumbered, outgunned, or outstrategized, or whatever, do you? No. You want to meet the foe on ground and with resources that you can have a victory. Or else you're just a fool and will be defeated, overrun, ousted. Well, the comfort we have here is we have all that we need. God has given it to us. Christ promised it and Christ has provided it. And He indwells you. And you know it if you're a believer. The very things you don't do and the very things you do do speak of His presence or absence. And let me remind you, the Bible makes it this clear black and white. Romans 8, 9. Except the Spirit of God be in you, you're none of His. There is no portion or partiality in the matter. He's there or He's not. And if He's there, He's always going to be there. And if he's there, he's not going anywhere. You don't get him and he leaves. He don't go on vacation. He don't take a break. He's not here on Sunday and gone through Monday through Friday. No, he's indwelling you. Permanent habitation. So we always have him. Therefore, we always have access to his power, to his strength, to his teaching, to his guidance, to his instruction, etc., etc., etc. We always have Now along with that great privilege, let me lay this great responsibility on you. Therefore, having this great advantage and resource and blessing, we have no excuse for defeat. And our defeat usually comes when we ignore it. 
or forget. We've got all this and we're not using it. We have the Spirit. And we are to yield ourselves to the Spirit. But the Spirit does not work alone. The Spirit of God would be like a cannon or a gun that you possess. But how good is a gun, a cannon, or anything like that? A howitzer, if you do not have ammunition for it. Nothing's going to happen. We're all smart here, aren't we? I mean, you know, but you take an empty gun, you can pull the trigger all you want to, and nothing's going to happen, is it? It's not until you load some ammo into it that it becomes a powerful, dangerous, destructive force, right? Well, the Bible tells us we have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is powerful by, in, and through the ammunition of the Word of God. When the believer takes the Spirit of God and adds the Word of God to it, then you've got power. Many times we are powerless because the Spirit is there, but we haven't added the ammunition, which the Bible calls in Ephesians 6, the sword of the Spirit. It is the Spirit's weapon. So we have a responsibility to yield to Him and to add that Word of God in our lives. And the taking of the Spirit of God and the Word of God is a powerful force that Satan and all hell can't buck, can't win, can't overcome. He is, how is it? How is He greater? Quickly. Well, Jesus called him in John 14 again, the Spirit of truth. He said he will guide you, I'm paraphrasing, teach you, instruct you, and remind you. John 14 and 17 and verse 26 of that same chapter. And that's what he does. That keeps us from being overcome by the enemy because... We can recognize by the Spirit what is true and what is false. Knowing the Word of God causes us to see error and say, that's not right. That's false. The Bible didn't teach that. Christ didn't say that. The apostles didn't teach that. That's wrong. The Bible says this. They're saying that. That That's in conflict with this. It's the Holy Spirit that does that. You can't do that. I can't do that. None of us have the ability of discernment between truth and error. In fact, we left to ourselves are more prone to take error any time and every time because we're fallen sinners. As children of God, that can be prevented because literally the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit in us, literally tells us the do's and don'ts as we read Scripture. Literally. I'm going to read one portion. We're running way behind here. But in Ephesians chapter 4, I've got to read at least one that I believe will help you here. It says in, uh, and notice that text in John 14 also said that he will remind us of what Christ taught. In Ephesians chapter 4 at verse 20, Paul says, You have not so learned Christ. That is, Christ and what He taught. If so be that ye have heard Him and have been taught by Him as the truth is in Jesus. Okay? The Holy Spirit's going to remind us of that. What's He going to tell us? That ye putting off concerning the former behavior, the old man, 
which is corrupt according to deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. That's what the Spirit of God does. Puts off one thing, adds, renews spiritual things. And that ye put on. Okay, got it? Putting off, putting on. What are we putting on, putting off every day? We're supposed to be putting off the world, the things of the world, the things of the flesh, and putting on the things of God. We do that by the Spirit of God. Which is after God is created in righteousness and true holiness, which is unattainable to us except by the power of God and the Holy Spirit. Wherefore, look here it is, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be ye angry and sin not, let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, rather let him labor working with his hands a thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed to the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be ye kind one one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Do's and don'ts. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth guides us in that and tells us, no, you can't. Yes, you must. Don't do that. Don't say that. Don't go there. Not that. Put away the former things. Put on the new thing. Do the things that please your Lord. That's the Holy Spirit. That's how He teaches. That's how He instructs us. And that's how He prevents us from the seduction of the heirs of the enemy. And I want to give you, lest I cut this short and have to quit, I want to give you what I believe is one of the most tremendous examples of that very thing in the Bible. Turn with me to Acts chapter 6. And verse 10. Here we pick up a man named Stephen. And let me just remind you who is said of him that he was full of the Holy Spirit. Let me turn back there and find that. Verse 8. Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. You got that? How could he be what he was? Holy Spirit. He was filled with the Spirit when he spoke. That's in another place. But look at verse 10. Here he is under attack by the enemy. Unbelievers. Those who spread and propagate error. And they're attacking him and the truth. And look at this. Marvelous statement. You want to know what it's like? Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Right here it is. Put your finger on it. They were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. Let me say this lest we run out of time. As a true vine, without him we can do nothing. But with him we can be just as invincible as Stephen was. Now it looks like Stephen got defeated. Because they stoned him to death. They silenced him. They didn't silence God. They didn't silence the Holy Spirit. They blessed Stephen by ushering him right into the presence of God, whom he saw, he says, with his own eye. What a blessing. What a blessing to die for your testimony of Jesus. And guess what? 
There were others standing in line to pick up the message that Stephen was preaching, and you read it in Acts, and they carried it right on. They didn't silence God. They didn't silence the Holy Spirit. They didn't silence the church. I love that. Try the spirits, whether they be of God. Resist the temptation. Recognize the error in that regard. And as we just read there in Ephesians 4, be reminded that you'll never run out of the power and ability, instructions, resources that the Holy Spirit provides for you. Renewed daily. Renewed daily. Just like Jeremiah said, the grace and mercy of God is new every day. It's fresh. It's it's just like if we lived in a place where there was humidity and the dew's out there every morning. Like the manna was there every morning. The Holy Spirit's still there when we wake up of the morning. He's ready to go. Those resources that we took from Him yesterday are replenished and ready to go. There's more for the taking. Let's close with this thought. The Bible also calls the Holy Spirit the Comforter. And my, how can He not be a Comforter? How does He comfort us? Well, first of all, His presence. His very presence in you is based on the promise of Christ to you. What is the promise of Christ to you? Sinner, saint, little children, I'll never leave you or forsake you. What is Christ's promise to His people in His church? Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. What is His promise to you little lamb when you're in the valley of the shadow of death thou art with me and he is by the presence of the Holy Spirit Christ is the right hand of the Father but he is in you and you in him by the comforter so his presence is a comfort because it's proof The earnest of the Spirit that Christ cares, Christ loves, Christ preserves, Christ does everything He says He will, and He does it in and through the Holy Spirit. I will never leave thee or forsake thee. No matter what, we'll always have access to Christ through the Spirit of God. Again, we don't believe any such thing as here today, going tomorrow, maybe Sunday, maybe next week, maybe, and hope I have the Spirit today, and he hope I don't do something where he'll run away and leave. No, he's there. Just don't grieve him. When you don't feel him, it's probably because we've grieved him or quenched him. And we got I driving the car instead of sitting in the back and letting him drive the car. God help us to be yielded. I love the word yielded when it comes to the Holy Spirit. Submission, be simple. But we have that comfort that whatever comes, whatever lies ahead of us, by the power of God and the Holy Spirit, there's a way of escape, there's a way of victory. We close by simply asking the question, the great question, are you saved today? Do you have the indwelling of the Spirit of God? No, I don't know. I think I do. You willing to risk eternity on what you think or what you feel? Let me say it again. You cannot have God indwelling you and not know it.
It's more powerful than if you had the worst cancer indwelling you. You'd know it. Some way, somehow, if it's that big and that bad, you're going to know it. Well, this is hundredfold that. If the Spirit of God is in you, then you're His. If He's not there, you're not His. And the only way you have the Spirit of God is by obeying the gospel. Repent of your sins, confess them. And if you can do that, then you have proof the Spirit has wrought it. And to believers, I would say this. You have the greatest resource there ever has been and ever will be for anything that comes our way. May God give us the grace to use that resource. Defenseless, helpless we are on our own, but with greater is He than he that is in the world. Again, we are invincible with Him. No wonder Paul said in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. And the means by which He does that is the blessed Holy Spirit. Praise God for the indwelling Comforter.